0: Hello and welcome back to the Artistically as NeuroCast podcast, a podcast where I chat neurodivergent and disabled people about the experiences of being neurodivergent and disabled and sharing stories, lived experiences and talking about the important issues that matter to you as a disabled person or neurodivergent person but also giving space for non-disabled neurotypical people to have the space to listen, learn and understand from us and for other intersectional groups in the community to uh, share their experiences and have them heard by other people who may not share the same experiences and hopefully at the end of each podcast you might have come away from something that you might have not had but the beginning of the podcast and heard and found something out new out and had a new take on disabled and new divergent issues. Each episode I try to guarantee that with by getting the different guests on and talking about something a bit different to the last. This episode doesn't disappoint on delivering that as today's episode Here's me chatting to Kyra McCarthy. Kyra McCarthy is autistic, uh, deaf, and has cerebral palsy, which she discusses all those uh, conditions and all those things that are part of her identity in this podcast interview. This interview will be shared in an article and on YouTube as a video to watch back or read about in a way that may be more accessible for you if you know, if uh, an audio only experience isn't accessible for you and I will work on making sure so each and every episode is accessible for you in a multimedia format so it's inclusive and accessible all disabled people and if there's anything you got to um, mention about the podcast and any ideas you want to get in touch with comments thoughts etc email neurocast at neurorainbowproject.com or follow at uk on twitter and at neurorainbowproject on instagram facebook, tiktok etc etc and with that, we may as get on to today's interview.
1: So, I'm name's Kia, and I am a disability at I have autism, cerebral palsy, and prevention loss by optical programmes.
0: Stop by telling me about, uh, you know, like, your disabilities. And as you said, you know, like, you got cerebral palsy and uh, hearing impairment or... Uh, Adhering is it uh, that you know, some is something that I haven't discussed yet on a podcast. And for, so, can you tell me a bit more about those you know, your disabilities and conditions? No,
1: so, um, silver poverty is a group of conditions which affect children from birth or prenatal, um, so a lot of the time cerebral poverty people I forget from bio and for example, CMB, um, which is my experience. So my mum had CMB. And as a result, that ended up for me having cerebral poverty. And um, a lot of my friends had strokes when they were born and that caused cerebral poverty for them. So, self-reporting is affected by any trauma that happens before birth or during birth or like before the ages of like, I can't really remember, but it's like very early childhood.
0: So, what are the other conditions did you tell me about? DR?
1: Yeah, and with my self I ended up in the ICU for eight weeks. And doctors thought that I would become deaf. And with cerebral palsy, there are commodities which do affect, like hearing loss, you can have other disabilities. At nine months old, I was confirmed to have cerebral palsy, and I also was confirmed to have hearing loss. And um, it was times with my mum, the care kind of out that I was losing my hearing at a very young age. Um, I wasn't packing up in signs the way that my peers were, and she was pushing for uh, hearing loss diagnosis. And by the time that I was two, I had my first cochlear implant, and I was confirmed to have prevent hearing loss on hearing both sides of my ears. By the time I was five, I had bileps for four and implants on both sides. And that was kind of my life. I've never experienced anything else other than being deaf and being disabled. Like, a lot of people always ask me, like, did you were lost to in a very young age? Do you remember life before getting your cochlear implant? But I cannot because... Um, all my life, I've had either hearing or a cochlear implants. I've never had that sense of like what able-bodied people perceive as normal, because being disabled mm-hmm. was almost my normal. But my autism diagnosis, my mom, and dad suspected at a very young age, but I didn't get confirmed until I was 16, due to like the fact the, the cerebral palsy. Can affect how people react to certain situations. Um, it was suggested by um, psychiatrists that like, they have autism and ADHD, but because of cerebral palsy, they didn't know how much cerebral palsy affected that type of side of things.
0: Yeah, I suggest with that. You know, it seems that from young age we've been diagnosed first of being uh, been deaf in uh, two two years had with the implants and having cerebral palsy i guess it's something that made for made that diagnosis of autism come later because i guess when you were in medical appointments chatting to your doctors, psychiatrists, and other medical professions, I guess from that at uh, young age, the focus was more on your cerebral palsy and you know your hearing impairment and how that affects yourself from that young age and I guess because it was less visible to them maybe that i guess might not been prioritized by them so what was it like if your parents have uh, picked up on you being autistic or some of the things and traits but Still having to wait until you were 16.
1: My parents had to push for their dummy. Um, doctors were just in there bonding, that was the experience of having self-holding. And my parents were, like, no, this is definitely what has on me. She's having meltdowns, she's getting upset about the small things and Doctors are like, oh no, and I think that type of thing was like giving my parents the reality of having cerebral palsy or having like a definite support need is that you have cerebral problems? is almost going to be the number one thing that people are going to see before you talk about everything else. Like I was talking to a friend of mine who is just there and I'm obviously not just there. Said, when you introduce yourself, how would you introduce yourself? I would say, I will talk about cerebral palsy first before all my other diagnoses because cerebral palsy has been the big thing. Like that's the thing that doctors talk about. That's the thing I go to the hospital about. And it's always been such a big impact on my life. I do not think about anything else other than cerebral palsy. And I think. My parents have always been ever camp with the doctors to make sure that I was getting the best help I could, even from a very young age. They were fighting for me to be able to walk, talk. Um, I care them always. kind of grateful that my mum was a nanny to and knew that these types of things my parents were just always so passionate about making sure that I had the same experience as my um, older sister and then eventually my younger sister. And they always viewed my disability as just something that was a part of me. They never treated me any differently from my siblings. And that type of, like, the now as I have turned 18 months from now, 19, and I am um, experiencing the adult. Services. I kind of am slightly grateful that my parents have fought for me all my life because now I get to experience adult services and how disconnected it is. It's almost as if they don't know that disabled adults exist, particularly cerebral palsy. Because all I've seen from doctors is maybe in the last year due to the pandemic of course, but also the fact that King's of, doctor just forgot about me. The moment I turned 16, like, I needed like Botox, I needed like, physiotherapy, I needed like some sort of support, but there was nothing in place because pandemic happened, then there was no transition it was when I felt like I was completely lost, and the new world that I haven't actually changed for, so... Yeah, being a is you're yeah, being like a nearly autistic, nearly yeah. disabled, well, not nearly disabled, but like an adult person dealing with their adults' houses that are not equipped to deal with disabled people.
0: Especially as you were hinting at, it, it's a lot difficult then for doctors Well, difficult as in that the doctors and medical professionals don't have take the time to understand and support and make sense of people with multiple disabilities as that people who have multiple disabilities are often forgotten about and that as you were hinting with your cerebral palsy, that one side your disability gets focused on more than actually also looking at the other areas of sport or things that you need or, and recognised by your dis- disability. As you were hinting at when you were, before you got diagnosed with autism and when your parents noticed the signs of you being autistic, it's that they notice you are autistic, and I guess the doctors didn't clearly are interested in distinguishing what is autism and what is cerebral palsy, or actually knowing the difference between what is autistic and cerebral palsy behaviours.
1: Autism and cerebral palsy are very important of not within the cerebral palsy community. Um, the reason that my mom actually got confirmation that I was not autism um, and was I went to high school and during my transition to high school and um, there was another self-apology um classmate that was talking about donuts, for example, right? And also I became very hyphetic about these donuts that no one else really cared about for me and this other cerebral poverty boy, but I've been very frustrated about that, And everyone else is trying to move on from the conversation. And my mom noticed that I was expressing the same exact things that like he was doing. And and mum's eyes that quite that has cerebral poverty and autism at the same time. And that uh, it's not, uh, I'm just a vet weird yeah. I just was just autistic with self-reported. I think having that representation of after having someone else who has self-reported and autism just made things make more sense in my mum's head that absolutely we should be fighting for an autism diagnosis and it was as a doctors weren't denying that I didn't have autism. It was more my autistic traits weren't fitting into um, their perceived um, autism traits because I'm a girl, so I'm a all the time. And they were like, well, that is a trait of girls having autism, but we can't link that to your feelings because when they first tried to diagnose at 12 years old, I was just showing up with like, having traits of ADHD, having traits of autism. They couldn't like, completely confirm that it was just autism or it was just ADHD. And they had to make me wait until I was like, 16 years of age. And I, was waiting for years trying to get an autism diagnosis because I was just like best, diagnosis will make a lot more sense and I need that because I'm not just got cerebral palsy, I have autism yeah. and support and places to support that autism I cerebral palsy and I think that's, I think now that I've been confirmed to have autism i have helped ter- Except to that, I've kind of learned to a bit more, I've believed a lot more than kind I of thought I did. But I just, I, I'm just angry that it took that long to confirm it. And it was during the pandemic when I was completely unmasked, but made it slightly easier.
0: I understand the pandemic, is a time that made it slightly easier for people to unmask or notice and realise that they are autistic or like at a point where they can actually guess, build up a case and to put together to prove to like a medical profession that they are autistic and then explain that to the medical professional as you say not with that. You know, it did help then from young age to be able to be in the class with somebody who also had cerebral palsy and autism. As before, like if you had any like interactions with other autistic people who have another disability, as you said, with uh, cerebral palsy, then it makes it easier to realise that or exemplifies that the the two conditions can co on people who have like co-occurring disabilities as when we like talk about like autism issues or cerebral palsy issues I guess you find that uh, you know the community of those who have multiple disabilities like yourself often you know forgotten about or underrepresented and within that community. Yeah I think I like,
1: I've been surrounded by Autistic people all my life, and I guess I never felt really connected to them because in my head I was like oh, I'm not as autistic as they are. But I was absolutely more as autistic as they are. I just didn't have my vocabulary at that time, like I was. Having like sensory overloads at school, thinking that they were panic attacks. And then immediately after I left high school, I was like, they were sensory overloads. But I never had the understanding that that's what they were, and my school were treating them as if they were panic attacks. In my head, I almost rationalized it. So I would avoid doing like certain things because I was like, oh, this is going to make me have a panic attack. And I mean, i that sense, I'm sort of preparing myself for the same sort of role as one does at a young age. But I think we need a more focus on how young undiagnosed women, men or people with gender non-conformance are autistic, and, but they don't have the understanding that they are autistic, and we need a more focus on that in education because I was in a mainstream school,
0: educated
1: yeah. by able-bodied people who were bullying me for cerebral palsy, they not really understand autism, they were openly bullying the autistic people, um, and I just kind of felt as if I had to be something that I wasn't because I did more get more bullied. And like, I wasn't denying that I was autistic. Like, I told my friends I was like, I probably do have autism. And a lot of the time, my friends would point it out but then. they would be like, yeah. Some of autism. I had friends that had also found out that you were autistic because of me because I was educating myself on how autism was and I think that came after my diagnosis. I became so hyper focused on trying to learn as much as I could about autism because I felt like I had to catch up to the years where I didn't have that understanding of autism. I wanted to understand my brain now a little more than that. I think and that's been something that I've not to protect more now. Um I become very frustrated on trying to understand things back to me. Yeah, I couldn't understand before.
0: I totally understand that, but, yeah, as of late, the, you know, being young, and even though I was diagnosed at uh, the age of, like, 10 or 11, I would say more, probably 10, and from then, I, well, year before I was diagnosed with anxiety, but until late, it was only until I was, like, 18, I, I kind of started feeling comfortable to talk more about my experience of autism and, you know, for those years in between, there was a lot of internalised ableism because I totally didn't understand what it was. And then I found from those ages in between, like in uh, comprehensive and and primary school, that those panic attacks, you know, like sensory overloads do look a lot like, you know, anxiety, panic attacks. And that's, I think, does up and whether I guess a lot prevent those barriers in between gender diagnosis occur. As I said, it's cr- 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 and that you were able to start talking to your friends about being artistic before you even got diagnosed, as I think that is something amazing the was something I wouldn't have the confidence to be able to feel comfortable, you know, explaining that. And as you were hinting at, you know, with the when you like in a mainstream uh, school with, uh, you know where uh, bullying that happens to anybody who's neighborhood age and they're not something I guess where you started the masking as a safety mechanism, but it's quicker good that the other people around you you could find that the you know you can start to educate them and they can learn about actually they were were autistic as well.
1: Yeah, so I that's how I actually got into activism. Um, I love to talk about the probably, um, because I was so fascinated with the probably, I had to share it with everyone in my classmates. Which at that age, she just sort of known that I was because I just kept bringing it up every five minutes, but I was so interested in educating people about cerebral palsy and during the pandemic I started working with the National Death Journal Society to kind of almost understand what my experience in death was because although I felt quite excited being deaf I just kind of never focused on it I was like oh okay, this is just support of me, I don't really care about it. So i started working with the National to talk about the impact of being deaf and I brought up the fact that I'm not only just deaf, I have additional support needs and several problems, And they were very interested in the site because there was a lack of awareness of being deaf, but also being deaf and disabled. Because all I saw was deaf, able-bodied people talking about their experience being deaf. And I was like, I can't relate to that because my is not just deaf. And from that, I started the campaigning for education being a little bit more diverse. So talking about disability from mainstream education As a lot of the time bullying happens because no one understands what the person is, like what, what their disability yeah. is. And that was kind of when I started to kind of be like, okay, I want to start pushing back. So in my last year of high school, I found like a group called Dinklis who had students who had disabilities. Obviously they were all diagnosed. So some of them had autism, some of them had um, hypermobility. But they all had some sort of disability and we were all wanting to fight for the fact that schools that to prevent bullying by talking about these difficult topics like being disabled, being LGBT and I started finding this love and passion for it and after I left high school I wanted to continue it so I've been going to primary schools, talking about that. I've even extended my work to talking with politicians about the importance of talking about disability within education and how, like, not only will it help so many young people, but it would also help them going into higher education, high school, and even college. It was like, for me, I wanted young people to understand that they are completely not alone in who they are, but also having their non-disabled peers understand that that's who they are as a person. So I think, like, I'm kind of glad that my work is kind of advantage, not just financial, but for the education, like, people make me talk about how Counting and supportive way for um, disabled people and stuff like that. I think I love just being able to push for this more aware education about disabilities.
0: Yeah, this is something that's important and something that I feel is something that I would like to see and would have helped me a lot if there was that education within school. And I think it's quite amazing just to have started within your school, a group of disability club kind of organisation where you can talk to other disability, disabled uh, children within your school and actually, you know, like talk about issues and how uh, it affects you and, you know, what's like the school experience like as that, like can encourage you to advocate for your rights in your school environment and to educate those around you as something, it seems like it's a great idea for more schools to consider, like spaces for autistic or people with other disabilities to actually work together. I guess it's like a bit like a union in a sort of way, where you can, or like a school council where you can actually talk about these things and actually work off like communal ad- ad- advocation, which is important because. When you're younger in school environment, it is hard to advocate for yourself and know what you need to do to, you know, need to advocate for and what things you can ask as reasonable adjustments or support you can get. And I guess from, you know, going into schools and speaking with the children a lot more, I guess you can help them to know what support they need and, you know, understand themselves a lot better and find confidence in that.
1: Yeah, I think it's just been incredible. I think I cannot fathom how much impact I've had on students, like students who are disabled themselves have contacted me and said that they feel represented and they are equally as passionate about us And... Like right. for me to interact with those students who are going into high school, who are scared about that transition from primary school, which is a very supportive environment. Mm-hmm. High school, where you may or may not be surrounded by people that you may not, you may know. I think I always bring up my experiences the high school because my experience, was not always positive and I think having that discussion about how schools can be more disability aware can be so important to so many students because it's tiring being uh disabled students trying to buy no disabled peers and I just want to be able to inspire so many students that they they can do what they want to yeah. do the math the non disabled peers the telling you you can't do it Um because in the you're the only person that knows your limits. I think for me it's just been trying to get the word out that in because of education is so much more important, particularly in this day and age.
0: I was just saying I guess speaking in school it's also can help uh the teachers and people who work around uh, disabled and and students and uh, all the students in general. As uh, I guess when you're in school, you know, teachers might not understand of aspects of your school experience that became quite negative if you're having like sensory overloads or meltdowns. And, and teachers might not understand sensory overloads, sensory sensitivities to burnouts, shutdowns and that overwhelm that comes of being neurodivergent, like being autistic or having ADHD on sensory processing condition, and actually talking about how that, you know, like your, your autism and your hearing impairment can affect your audio processing, be having both conditions, and actually, like, to so explaining what, in, like, or cerebral politics students need as well with that, and I guess having those conversations as well as students but teachers can actually help them to, I guess, with their students a lot more.
1: Yeah, um, teachers have actually said to me and said a lot of them didn't have disability trainer. Like, I was the first disabled student that they had. And they have to learn on the job. And I was quite shocked about this because not only did they not understand the experiences of disabled but they're having to learn how to handle all these brand new experiences. And I I'm so thankful, like my English teacher is so understanding and I was so supportive during his time there. And I think I We need more teachers like them who
0: yeah.
1: are willing to learn and want to learn. But I think at the same time, education needs to have teachers that are aware of disability and understand the students that disabled students are going through because a lot of the disabled students don't really make friends with the non-disabled peers but they make friends with their teachers. Or lectures, and having that disability awareness will be so key within education, but I would also mean that the teachers are equally qualified to talk about these important issues that disabled students go through um, throughout your life. and throughout their life. I think having that discussion of whether, like, a lot of disabled students don't know what they're getting into because a lot of jobs that they want to do are they can't do them due to their disability or it's just not something that they can do. I think the education as I have age is only geared towards the neurotypical, able-bodied person and it is not quite to handle mainstream disabled people. And one thing I got um, from my physiotherapist, therapist. Um, so, in my transition to high school, my own dad had taught other schools that were a disability anyway. And my um visual therapist told us that we had to go to a special needs school. And my own dad was like, Absolutely or not. Um, my child was able to. Do things that are known disabled people are able to do. Uh, I think there's always been this focus that if you have a disability, you cannot do it. Finally. I have, like less high school with like amazing games, and I think it's down to the fact that people point in the fact that I could do it. But I think it's like in all parts of life, I think we need to have more disability awareness and media and tv and like education and medical like side of things and social care like there's so many things that we could have that make life easier for disabled people. We don't live in a society that will set down.
0: And so what are the key things, So, like if you could suggest if it would make, you know, things easier for people who are disabled in society?
1: Um, Having, like, lifts at work, having sensory spaces where autistic people can go to if they're, like, feeling overwhelmed, having quiet rooms, having, like... Pilots looks at absolutely a lot, but there's so many things that, like, people look at, for example, a ramp and they're like, well, that's good enough. And that's not good enough because the disabled person can't get up it, or it's just rocky. Or, like, we, when the engineers do all the accommodations I around mean, they're only thinking about what take us to one group of disabled people, whereas we should be able to take us to all the disabled people, regardless of who and it shouldn't be a challenge to fight for the accommodation that people so desperately
0: need. You know, like you, I found out that you were a campaign ambassador for ARIL, and so, like, can you talk about, as well as, you know, like, because that's part of advocacy and activism work, and as we've been discussing, something more passionate that you want to be able to to deliver action and change for disabled people. But can you tell me about the work you've been doing with the Will campaign group? So
1: I am an Will ambassador, so I'm speaking about deaf awareness and disability awareness. I've been speaking to schools on behalf of that and also fellow ambassadors. Where another good element, the Divender influencers, is I talk about the importance of transition for so, so many young people as a lot of disabled people, particularly in your last year of high school to cold or uni, or even apprenticeships and and um places of work. There's not bad transition for a lot of disabled people. So I've been advocating on behalf of that, trying to encourage schools to make sure that disabled students are getting a good transition and know what they're getting into. The national deaf children, I am currently talking about deaf mental health. And the impacts that can have on deaf children, um but other than that, um, my own activism works I just to help talk about education, the impacts of education on young and disabled people
0: and so, as you mentioned, like uh, you're passionate about uh, mental health of deaf people, and it's something that a part of your work with IRL, really, you focus on. So can you explain about how has being deaf impacted your mental health and how have, as the deaf community said that being deaf and within a human society that the mental health has been impacted?
1: So I think particularly as a well lot of hearing people by or speak, it's been challenging for me as a family and buy. In a busy environment, for example, I cannot hear what people are saying. I feel alone and I feel kind of embarrassed to ask, like, what are they saying? Because because they will tell me, but never mind, I'll tell you later or it's okay, it doesn't matter. And I just feel so disconnected from that environment. I also feel disconnected within the community and the group. As, as, as I'm talking to my hearing brain. And the deaf community has been focusing on the impact of that, particularly how um, hearing people feel to accommodate the different people when they require it. And it's been a um, very important in that the national deaf have raised awareness about uh, um sadly, a uh, deaf content creator definitely mean, did pass away and we have had the conversation about that and how it has been very really heartbreaking for disabled um, and deaf people, particularly of this loss this amazing content creator who's shown a light on deaf mental health. And I think this focus that we're doing is on child and deaf mental health. And how deaf children can be impacted by being surrounded by hearing peers, and how that may impact their deaf identity.
0: Have you mentioned like uh, about childhood impact of mental health from being a child and when, and like what was your experience on the mental health and how did your your in effect a uh, hearing impairment affect you in in your childhood and your confidence and mental health then?
1: So, um, I hung around deaf people from a very young age, and my parents had one cup with other deaf people. So I wasn't exactly alone, however, we're going to mainstream education, particularly primary, I felt more alone and missionary conversations, like I couldn't do the things that everyone else was doing. Like if they were playing football, I couldn't do that because my empan failed. And obviously I was a little disabled. But I was more I just felt as if I couldn't connect with my friends because they were able to go to concerts and hear everything that was being said. But I all I heard was just noise and it was tiring and like cochlear implants have been developed quite well and back when I first got my cochlear implants they were not as good quality as my cochlear implants today which meant that I was missing a lot more conversation. I was relying on what we done and I just was just exhausted. All the time because I was up in conversations, people are giggling about a jokes and stuff, but I couldn't catch up on that. And it's just deaf children mess out so much. I think it's just that whole experience of being deaf, you mess out on a lot. And a lot of the time, I watched that I wasn't deaf. Like even today, I wish I wasn't there because I would hear a joke and I wouldn't get it because I've just messed up on the punchline because I couldn't hear what the joke was in the past. And like having friends tell you, oh, it doesn't matter, we can mm. talk about it. And I was just like, well, I feel quite excited and quite horrible, like, I feel that oh you don't actually care about me. It was kind of like that encounter.
0: Yes, that feels quite, like, you feel bit excluded or left out of the group or situation. At the moment if you, uh, like, only get to uh, experience half of the conversation. And, like, from what you've been saying about, like, oh that, If you're in a room with like multiple noises or like it can be quite busier, and then you know it's like you can't hear really what anyone is saying and can't actually process what somebody is saying. And as I said, the same with like if you're at a concert, music area, you know, like it kind of just all messes into like kind of one big noise. This like some of it is like autistic. people discuss, like, the audio to, to reprocessing issues. Do you find that sometimes that, you know, within the conversations in the artistic community, that your experiences of being deaf in that community can sometimes be ignored?
1: Um, I have a very with the autism community about my experience being deaf. Um my experience being autistic is I relate to so much of autism. But as you say, like a lot of my experience with sense of the world is not just like to just autumn, it's like the deafness, it's the entire process, yeah. of the information that's happening all at once. And also what autumn there's too much information happening, you basically start functioning. And for me, like, I come out of, like, events more shattered than I an autistic person would be, because I'm not dealing with just sensory overload, I'm dealing with hearing fatigue, which is when I have to work for a long extended time, and it can be tiring. If you're having to make eye contact with people, you have to um, understand what you're saying. Like it's about 85% of like one can you like read on the ups, which is a massive like percentage. Yeah. So it's quite tiring because that 20 odd percent you're missing out because you can't actually hear what's happening, I think. I'm okay grateful for the fact that I have to thank you because days after like events and concerts I go to I can take off my importance and I can like live in silence for so, like it was to kind of recuperate from that because the world becomes quite loud after a while and I just kind of like sat in the silence of my own world and I enjoy Having that ability to take off my impairment. Whereas, like, a lot of autistic people who are not deaf don't have that experience. I think there needs to be more of a focus on the you know, additional support needs, additional disabilities that autism can help.
0: Yeah, that is something definitely important, and i to be able to explore that the podcast as you know, if you know, we discuss in- issues such like this you know if I was just discussing with people who only got the diagnosis of autism the conversation would only go so far and wouldn't be representative of all autistic people and you know people like yourself and anybody else with any other additional disabilities along with autism or any other neurodivergent condition deserves a place to speak up and a place to able to communicate their needs and experiences in the community just like anyone else and this is something that is vitally important of what I want to do with this podcast. You know a lot of the focusing on it is triggered off the other aspects of you know where you're at, of your disabilities and you know you were saying earlier about having ADHD is it something you're de- diagnosed with or something that is yet to be diagnosed. I
1: still so believe that have are um, but I've never actually got a uh, diagnosis because it's been just a thing that I've just kind of like, oh, I really relate to that. And like, I've never really 100% believed in my experience with just autism. Like, I've been telling mom for years. That I think I have ADHD and she was like, no, you don't, you have at them. I was like, no, there's so much of ADHD that I have. And like, it would not be a surprise to me if I ever go down and get uh, ADHD diagnosis, but if the like psychiatrist said, yep, you have ADHD, I wouldn't be surprised. But with cerebral palsy all the time, or the traits can be interpreted as ADLC because we are quite impulsive but main charity. We love to get things done, we forget everything to asthma and a lot of the tests that people with cerebral poverty have that experience. And um, but I I believe that I have ADLC. I don't think I really help people, but I think it's something that maybe one day I might go and get a diagnosis, but yeah. I've just been diagnosed with autism not only it's like three years ago at best point I think I'm still learning quite a lot about myself and I think until the day that self-discovery I'm saying that I think going good step of just being autistic until something else steps out to me that I need to yeah get down yeah. on
0: because I said that if you I guess don't need it like for certain things, then you know you can just you know know you are to or, or like fit of it or you know, like, potentially have ADHD without having that diagnosis, if you can uh, almost, like, live without needing a diagnosis. And, uh, like, that's something that, I guess, most people wouldn't think of with cerebral palsy and something people to know about uh, have, uh, you know, like, the less visible traits of uh, cerebral palsy have in you know, like ADHD. So what do you think of, like, your uh, cerebral palsy? What are the traits that people don't tend to think that would be related to cerebral palsy?
1: Um, so I think cerebral palsy, obviously is a physical disability, but it can affect the wiring of your brain and, like, I don't know any terms that people wouldn't like link to cerebral palsy. There are so many, but like, I don't know any off the top of my head, but I do know the experience of cerebral palsy and autism. And um, it's very linked. And, like, there's been studies on it. And, like, that's how my, my newer person for autism and my, I don't my burning, but she asked for um, my autumn dinner and what she did was, because she was doing a study at the time about self-reporting and autumn, and she's like dad, all the tweets that he was a good friend, to but my experience of having self-reporting made a difference, so we done work the unofficial diagnosis and um, I fit into autism. I think as I got older, I think it became more clear what was autism and what is cerebral palsy. Um, But yeah, I think cerebral palsy and autism is a very unique experience. I feel like there isn't much conversation around it because people don't know about it, or there's just a lack of awareness that you you yeah. have, like, more than... autumn You could probably... Yeah. stuff like, that.
0: like, unless, you know, like, the conversations aren't happening, and, you know, like, I say, like, when people talk about autism in the media, and many have, like, mainstream media representatives of autism, it tends to focus on autism alone, and or have additional disabilities, and as I say, that's something that, you know, like leaves autistic, cerebral palsy, like people out, you know, like excluded from, and as I say, like, if you do these conversations more, we can understand more about it, are. and then as seems tend to that, it's a lot to learn and be understood about the, you know, two, two experiences in Renard, two conditions in and then it's something that you've been learning a lot about yourself.
1: I think more now I've begun to just notice things like I would have never noticed that my like, twelve mm-hmm. and my like, the things that my parents would bring up and i would be like, Oh, that that's autism awesome. but mm-hmm. you know
0: yeah. my Seems have always been kind of like Seems
1: like your parents have you know,
0: seems like your parents always been quite good at trying to understand your autism, your cerebral palsy, and support you in the way and, and advocate for you and being able to learn and being able to do their own research, which has great, been great, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, I think, like, my parents have been my biggest support, I think, from a very young age. I think, like, them being able to, like, notice these things that they are young, age, I think, has really
0: helped,
1: like,
0: yeah. me as a person. Because, I'll say, like, you know, it, like, it seems like you wouldn't been in the place where you are today. Like, if you know, being quite confident and being able to speak out. And like I said, start to, that group in school with ever disabled people and actually talk to your friends if you haven't had that support and confidence from those who live around your home. And I guess our emphasises but you know, having a good background of having good parents and guardians supporting you, just, you know, for disabled persons, you, well, you've been able to at a young age of being able to speak up and... Learning so much about your disability and how so many people learn about your disability is something very amazing to do.
1: Yeah, I think the support that I've had from, like, not only my parents, but my grandparents, and sisters, I think it's been very really supportive and they've all been celebrate everything I do. Like, we all celebrate each other's achievements and I think, but what what am what I do is to have a link to my parents' like ability to fight for me then, like, from the beginning, I was born to know. I think a lot of the support system I have has actually encouraged me to be more confident in who I am today.
0: And the sound of love would make you more confident in who you are. And, you know, that's a good thing. I feel like... We to bring to you, you know, be able to motivate you and believe in you and instill so that confidence that you can do things. As you said, they try to help you, like, be able to have the confidence to try and do things for yourself. It's sometimes it's very hard for autistic and cerebral palsy people to have their conf- confidence and support from people behind them.
1: Yeah, I think. It's just a down to my parents and like my sisters. And I think I've almost been confident from a very young age. I've been very confident. I was always quite bossy. I was very, very needed. But a lot of I came down to the fact that I like, was my parents, always I to have those conversations and stuff
0: like that. I think like seeing you like quite... Like you on social media, talk about LGBTQ rights within the community and I think you're uh, identify as queer or LGBTQ yourself. So what's your experience of being LGBTQ within the community and what type of things as a LGBTQ queer person do you tend to speak on? Um.
1: So I think I haven't really spoken about being out as a LGBTQ person myself. But I have kind of hinted to that side of things. So I've spoken about how um, there should really be more disabled media that has LGBT people who are also disabled. So I think there's a real disconnect. And I think a lot of young people that have disabilities need that representation. Because so it can really help with their self Um. But I feel like this is almost going to be a laugh or awareness of, like, queer people that have disabilities, queer, autistic people. And, like, funny from Heartbreak High was, like, kind of incredible representation of how autistic people can also be LGBT. And there's a wide majority of the disabled community are also disabled themselves. Yeah. So I think having that representation shown onto the community and, like, have someone that, even if it's a state type, that has, I don't know, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, it's just showing that disabled people can be LGBT at the same time. Yeah, I think it would be brilliant to have, like, just a character. Like, they don't have to have their own But even if it's just that physical disability, on TV, um, can the help a lot like young disabled people just have upset themselves a little bit more.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, with like character like Winnie, you know, like that was a good example of autism on TV because, as I said, it's very rare that you get the accurate and uh, diverse representation. On television, and that doesn't play into tropes, or is, is something that doesn't seem to be written by anybody that is autistic or neurodivergent themselves. And as you could tell, with like Chloe Hayden herself, or not. So she's kind of able to add some of her own experiences into that and her own means of being autistic herself onto that. And then recently got at uh, Ellen McNichol's uh, TV uh, book series, it came to Spark being adapted for BBC.
1: Um I would love like a lot more conversation about how education can impact like disabled people like more like the brilliant side of things, because obviously billion can really affect Disabled people's self identity of themselves, but also their understanding of who they are.
0: Yeah. I
1: think, like, as every, an everyday experience that we're disabled for me, experience discrimination because of are disabled. But I think having that conversation about how can we prevent that, how can we make sure that we ourselves are safe.
0: And I guess that's. I like find it's important that you've been able to have the privilege of speaking to politicians and to people in politics as I encourage just actually introduce some sort of training or education and something within schools. And like, as you said, from, you know, like focusing on areas of anti-bullying, looking into ableism and disability discrimination, whether it's in school, education and in wider society. So as I said, for anything anti-bullying for disabled people and that training and education exactly, what are the key things would you like to, to see happening in that? And how do you think that, that needs to happen to get to that, to that point?
1: Um, I think one thing I would like to see particularly, and um definitely saying it, is the conversation around discrimination. Like even the everyday words that people say um, that people may not know are able is having that conversation about how, how words have self it, and um, having like. Being able to support disabled students, may so maybe going through this discrimination, and also having that open communication about how disabled students can be well supported in education. I think these are the key things. I think because we can talk about ableism, we can talk about all these important things. Mm-hmm. If teachers themselves don't know. How to identify simple just stuff, like subtle ableism that's in the classroom, like girls in class, they're going to each other like the disabled person in the class. Like teachers won't know how to pick up on that, but the disabled person does is having that experience like shared with teachers at Definitely understand that table training, anything that kind opens their eyes to reality, of the lives of table training.
0: Yeah, as well. It's like when you like like if I went in school like the only the like discrimination education tend to get is like on, like campaigns around racism, so racism, the red card and Islamophobia bits. Important to address, but also need to look at intersections of like whether it's pre or to disabled discrimination and giving a wider picture of like cultural discrimination and what that looks like. As you know, with the such education in schools, it doesn't always look at the current examples and of how it is within society, and then having that conversations with teachers of how that can happen, you know, would really help things.
1: Yeah, I think um, just having that conversation with just students as well, having them understand that, like, it's okay to being disabled, I think, like, having, like, the non-disabled students understand a little bit more about disability, which, Yeah
0: make things a lot why like, yeah. Like. yeah because like if i like i found if like I, I had like somebody like coming into school or like an autistic person's having experience or like an autistic informed and you know inclusive you know description of autism and education on that and in an a world of urgency then in school, which I didn't think that my classmates and peers, you know, would have had in my time in school. That would have been quite beneficial just for them to understand it. So I could feel maybe that I could actually open up and say I'm autistic or and actually start to learn more about myself because I think... I found that even after my own diagnosis, I was lacking the education for myself to understand myself. So it has to say that education can be valuable for the wider group.
1: Yeah, I think education is something really important. I think we need to more. Yeah, but just that I'm um, disabled education, especially to. Make sure that disabled people are being
0: represented. that like I think I always tend to ask one question at the end, but I think we kind of covered it. Like the question usually is, like when things to make things better for disabled people, we can. Do you wanna like select one thing that wish people to take away from this interview anyway?
1: One thing I would like to, to take away is that education should support all students, regardless of their disabilities, and that, like, bullying can impact people's mental health, and we should try and strive for a more inclusive education that holds to these messages and how students will help.
0: Excellent, and do you want to say, friend, Petita, where people can find you or follow you or support anything that you do?
1: Yeah, well, so, I'm um, on all platforms. Um, my social media handle is at Decina, um, and you can follow the other organisations that post my work and stuff. Um, but I use all Twitter and stuff. But on all platforms is at Decina.
0: Thanks very much. It's been great to be able to chat to you.
1: You too. Thank you.
0: And that was the uh, Kevin McCarthy interview. And I just want to thank Kyra yet again for coming on the podcast. As I said earlier on in the podcast, in the introduction, you'll be able to watch this after the upload of this podcast on YouTube. And you'll be able to read about it on, debu- on www.newrainbowproject.com. And that will be said on Twitter and Instagram, where you can find and f- find about the uh, episode, the guest, and what we discussed in it in an article blog form. We will be t- having some summary and analysis and some thoughts for you to take away from this interview, as with other interviews within the series. And as I said, if you like this episode, you can like subscribe, share this podcast on social media or with your preferred podcasting platforms and please do make sure you share this podcast and if you're on a podcast platform like Apple Podcasts please consider giving it a review and five stars so people can find this podcast and listen to it and I hope that can encourage others to do so. As it seems, more people are listening to this podcast and by the draws, and this is reaching a multinational audience, favourites from America to countries within Europe and Asia to the uh, uh, Australia and Oceania Right, across. course, it seems to be reaching a quite a global audience now, and I hope that. I can continue uh, increasing the size of the audience and hopefully by you sharing these conversations, you do so and keep, help grow this as well. And as I said, you can contact neurocast at uh, neurorainbowproject.com me that if you got any ideas, comments and things you like like to, to say. As I would like to get to know the listeners bring the podcast and hear your stories and thoughts on things we discussed on the podcast and as I said before you can contact and follow the New Rainbow project on Twitter at New Rainbow UK and on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok and other social medias using using the handle at New Rainbow Project, and you can fight, and you can interact with the podcast using the hashtag pod and use that across all social media platforms. so same with the social media, you can use that to get updates on up-and-coming guests and requests for podcast guests and any other podcast items we discuss. And thanks again for listening and I hope you enjoyed hearing this podcast and I'll be back with you next Sunday with a new episode of the podcast. And see you then. But this was posted by myself artistically for new rainbow project and by our audio production. Thanks again.